Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. A few years ago, we were driving home from church. It was a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It was a a cold December night in Minnesota. They're all cold December nights in Minnesota, even in June, right, Dr. Beerman? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we were coming home from a Christmas program, and we decided to take the long way home. We wanted to see all the lights and the the decorations and the different neighborhoods and and different displays. And so we were driving around, and for a few minutes, Allison and I are kind of pointing out, oh, cool, look at that, look at that big Olaf over there, look at that light display, oh, it's like, it's it's time to music or something, and we're we're really getting into it and pointing this stuff out and, and really enjoying it. And after a couple minutes, we realized that there was like no sound from the back seat. The kids weren't saying anything. They weren't seeming to enjoy it at all. So finally, we kind of looked at the back and said, like, what's going on back there? And we realized that their windows were entirely fogged up. And so as we're driving around, enjoying all these lights, it's just a blur to them. We're driving by and and in this experience of of Christmas and, and all those lights, it was just a blur. I, I think for a lot of us, the way that we prepare for and the way that we experience Christmas can kind of be like that as well. That we just experience this blur of light that passes us by. We don't really take time to, to reflect on the significance, the good news, the great joy that comes to us at Christmas. And so here at Epiphany in these midweek services, we've been trying to wipe the fog off the window try and, and stop in the blur of this season to reflect on the significance of who Jesus is and why it matters that he would come to earth to be born in a manger, to live, to suffer, to die on the cross and rise from the dead. We thought about how he is our, our true prophet, our true priest, and tonight we reflect on our King, Jesus, the true King. And this idea of kingship, it really comes from God. Anything that we think about as kings in our world really all points back to God's vision and God's idea for humanity, for all of creation. God's original plan was that he would rule over all of creation as the one king. And his righteousness, his his holiness, his perfect wisdom and love. And that we, his creatures, would live under him in trust and obedience, living lives of service as his followers, as his subjects, living under our King God. And even throughout the Old Testament, in the story of the people of Israel, when we talk about kings, as we we heard some of the readings uh, tonight, The idea of the kings of Israel weren't actually to be the ruler over the people. They were actually the princes under God's rule. God would still be the ruler. God would still be the king. And these 
Israelite kings would be princes. David, Solomon, they would be the ones through which God's righteousness and his justice would be made known to the people. It's, it's, a, it's a compelling vision for how life ought to work, how our relationship with God ought to be. But when we really think about how that would look in practicality, in our lives, we see that it's a, a challenging system, this idea of God being our king and us living under him in, in obedience. In fact, it's something that, that is impossible for us to do on our own. I mean, think about it. We live in a culture, we live in America, where we value our freedom, right? I remember one theologian who talked about bringing his, his friend, who is a, a British man, and he brought him around Philadelphia, and they were touring all sorts of stuff from the Revolutionary War, and they actually went into like a, an antique shop, and they had this sign from the 1770s hanging there, and it said, we serve no sovereign here. We serve no king here. And it's true, right? In America, we don't have a king. We value our, our freedom. And because we've said we serve no king here, we have our country. And we have all these things that we celebrate so much, our ability to make choices and mobility and to make decisions for ourselves and sort of the freedom that comes along with that. And we also have a great distrust for authority. When we think about kings, when we think about somebody having rulership over us, it's a, a daunting prospect. It's a daunting idea. Because we're afraid that they're going to be distant domineering, manipulative. We see the way that people have abused power in the past. So we, we fear giving our, our obedience to anyone, to, to give our full allegiance, to give our lives, to, to completely live in line with someone else's will. It's a scary prospect for us. It intimidates us. And that's nothing new. That's not something that started in the 21st century. If you go back to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what was the sin that entered the world? What was their sin? It was rebellion against God. It was their declaration, we serve no king here. We choose to live the way that we want to live, not the way that God wants to live. Living out of bounds with God's will and God's desire for their lives, sin entered the world and it continues to exist in our own lives today that we battle and we wrestle with sin and live a life of rebellion against God's will for ourselves. And so the good news that we celebrate here at the season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas is the good news, the hope, and the promise that Jesus Christ has come to be for us our true King. That He is the Messiah who's come to liberate us, to, to rule, to save us from our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. To come in, in this world that is in rebellion against God and what Jesus' ministry, his suffering, his death, his resurrection all point to is the deepest need of our heart. That we aren't people who just make mistakes, but that we are people who live in rebellion against God's perfect will. And he's come to do something about that, to rescue us, to bring us back to God. It defies our expectations about our own brokenness, that we are much more broken than we would realize and it also defies our expectations about God and who He is and what He has come to do. That He's come to, to fix something that is, is so much bigger than just small mistakes in our life. It's, 
It's like if you felt like you had indigestion and you start popping Tums, but it really turns out that you're having a heart attack. In the same way, our problem, our struggle, our challenge as human beings is so much deeper than we could ever imagine. This rebellion, the sinfulness, and our brokenness in our relationship with God. And it's good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Joy to the World. Is that anybody else's favorite? It's awesome, right? It's a great song. It's a great celebration. We sang it on Sunday morning. It's a celebration that our king has come. The true king has come. And it's inspired by a few psalms, including Psalm 96. These celebrations that the king has come for us. But one of the things that I think is so interesting and so fascinating is when you look at that psalm, Psalm 96, where this idea of joy to the world comes from, it ends with these verses. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. We kind of heard that in our Revelation reading as well. But let me ask you, when we hear those words and when we think about that concept of God coming, of the king coming, why does that not terrify us? The thought that the king is coming to judge. The king is coming in his faithfulness to a world in rebellion. Why is that not a threat like that ominous song that we sing at Christmas that you hear on the radio, Santa Claus is coming to town? Right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It's, it's scary, right? When you, you'll never hear it the same way again. In the same way, this idea of the king coming to judge the world ought to frighten us, ought to terrify us, but we don't. We don't hear it as a threat. We don't say, joy to the world, oh no. No, joy to the world. Why? Because Christ is coming. Christ has come. And for us, who have rebelled against God, whose hearts cry out, I serve no king here. He has come to liberate us, to save us, to rescue us, not through force or battle or killing, but through weakness and suffering and death. Jesus Christ did not come to crush God's people who were in rebellion. He came to save them, to live, to suffer, to die, and to rise in order to defeat sin, death, and the devil without defeating us, without destroying us. His victory isn't through strength, but through losing power and dying on the cross. He came to bring not down judgment on God's enemies, but to bear our judgment onto himself, to bear our sinfulness. And see, this is the wonderful, beautiful, upside-down nature of Christianity, that, that we connect to God, we are brought into God's family, not through strength, not through our strength or our achievements, but through repentance. That Jesus Christ didn't come to, to say, hey, look at this. Look how perfectly I'm living Look how good I am. Look how moral I am. If you act like me, God will love you. And one day you can go to heaven. No. No, instead, by bearing our judgment, taking on our sins, 
and absorbing God's judgment onto himself, we now see in Christ that salvation comes through weakness, through repentance. That in spite of our flaws, despite of our brokenness, despite of our, our rebellion against God and our sinful hearts, anyone can come into the kingdom of God. Anyone, anyone, anyone can be loved and forgiven. I think it's striking that one of the criticisms you hear a lot about Christianity is how narrow it is. That it's, it's too exclusive. That there can't just be one way to God. There can't be just one way to heaven. But here's the reality. Just because something's narrow doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, if you went to your doctor and they told you, all right, here's the deal. You need to take this medication. You need this diet. You need this exercise. I mean, I suppose you could say to your doctor, you know, I think that's a pretty narrow interpretation of what I'm supposed to do. That's a pretty exclusive way for me to live. You could say that, but just because something's narrow doesn't mean that it's not true. And Christianity is radically more exclusive and inclusive than you could ever imagine. It says to us that everyone is lost and yet everyone is loved and everyone is called to recognize that reality and allow God to change them, to be brought into God's family, to, to see Christ as we celebrate Christmas, to see him as the life-transforming king who came into the manger. That this is how God showed his love among us, as we read in 1 John 4. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, when you see Jesus Christ loving you, loving you to the point that he would come to earth to live and to suffer and to die, loving you, serving you, dying for you, and conquering your true enemies, reconciling us to God and forgiving us, it ought to start to change the way that we think about our relationship with God. That it becomes possible for us to live in this relationship with him, marked by trust and obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that we can start to listen and obey, that we see how much he loves us and how much he has poured himself into us, that he's not distant and domineering and cold and manipulative, but that he is loving and compassionate and sacrificial, working for our behalf. We start to worship him as our true king. And we start to live each day with hope and endurance and courage in all the doubts and and despair and discouragements and frustrations that we experience on a daily basis. We can start to be people, like it says in Hebrews 13, that we consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you won't grow weary and lose heart. That as we go through this season of Advent, as we move towards Christmas with all the stress and all the challenges that we face, that we can live under God, that, he can, that Christ can be our true king, that we live in obedience then when, when you're at work and there's opportunities to cut corners, to make unethical choices, to, to make sure that, that everything measures out in the bottom line, that we can make the difficult decisions. When you're at school, when you're stressed out and there's an opportunity to cheat, to make sure that your finals get the grades that you want to, you can trust God and continue to make wise choices and make difficult choices, living in obedience to God's will for our lives. When it comes to, to all the stress and strain of the holidays of, of Christmas with our family and our, 
extended families and all the brokenness and messiness that comes with that, that we can be the, the people who live in line with God's will, who, who have this love of God poured into them so that in response, in our relationships with people, the difficult people, we can respond with love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That when we snap, that we can be the one who says, I'm sorry. When other people have been making mistakes, that we can be the ones who forgive. That we can live with kindness and compassion in our daily life and in our relationships with the people around us. As we go through our daily lives of work and school with our family, as a church, in our communities and our neighborhoods, we, we do so with this incredible good news that, tr- that Christ has come to be our true king, to set us free. But he was the, the sacrifice who made it possible for us now to live as, as living sacrifices to him. So as we move forward, a week from Christmas, look closer. Wipe the fog off the mirror. There's more to Christmas. There's more to this next week and the weeks after that than a blur of lights. In the manger, at the cross, we see our true king with a promise of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Our true king lying in the manger. In the name of the risen Christ, amen.